O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, We have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice you because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Good morning, Refuge. It is nice to be seen by you this morning, I guess, is what I'm thinking. Uh, um, Man, we really do miss you. Uh, We're able to see some of you at a little birthday parade yesterday, and that was just so warming to uh, our family, to our hearts, just to see your faces, to check in with you. And um, I know we've been saying this from the beginning, but it, it is absolutely true. Though we are separated by distance, we are united as a family of God by his spirit and by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God. And so um, we hold onto that. We believe that the Spirit is binding us together. Even this morning, we are the family of God, whether gathered or scattered. Now, last week, we began a short series on the subject of lament. And lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Lament follows this theme that at once everything was good, everything was fine. My life was put together, it was going okay, but now all is lost, everything is a mess, all is darkness around me. And lament, it, it can be, uh, it can take many different shapes and forms, but it's an, an intense or even almost violent embodied form of prayer. And at a time, I think, of intense grief and loss, as many of us are experiencing as a country, as a state, as a nation, and even as individuals, I don't know if there's anything more appropriate for the church to learn and to practice uh, than lament uh, in this season. Now, again, a basic framework for lament, we talked about this last week, is a journey. It's a journey from orientation, everything was good, disorientation, everything is lost, everything is wrong, to reorientation or a receding, new life, new creation, promised land, hope, right? And that is the journey that God often takes us on, this journey of orientation to disorientation to reorientation and all of this God allows so that we might learn to trust him more that we might learn to lean in to him even more and this can be seen in the psalms this can also be seen in many of the biblical narratives one author says this biblically lament is a transition it is like the exodus and wilderness wanderings it is a tempted environment of murmurings and distrust, or a joyful anticipation of the promised land. Now, of course, the point of biblical lament is to direct our pain and grief toward God, not because he is an all-powerful being immune to human suffering who sits comfortably in the heavens and can possibly do something about our situation if we can just get his attention, if we can just sacrifice enough for him. That is a pagan idea. But in scripture, we lament to God because he is not far off. He is near. 
He is at our side. He is our guide and fellow traveler through the wilderness. And we lament to him because he knows. We lament to him because he feels what we feel. Remember the psalmist says, you put all my tears in a bottle. You, you count the hairs of my head. He knows. He's with us. He cares for us. We lament to him because he is grieved in our grief. We lament to the God of the cross who himself was sorrowful even to the point of death. He knows this journey well. Now, as Ryan read, Psalm 13 is our psalm for this morning, and it has a three-part movement to it. And it, it follows that, you know, um, journey, as I was saying, orientation, disorientation, reorientation. In verses 1 and 2, we have the lament, how long? In verses 3 or 4, we have the plea, answer me, God, act, intervene, do something. And then in the latter part of this passage, verses 5 and 6, we have the resolve, I will trust, I will sing, I will celebrate. And we just want to look at this briefly. Now, the interesting thing about this psalm, and one of the reasons why it just stood out to me, is because the key theme of this psalm is time. The key theme of this psalm is waiting. And I just feel like this is so appropriate to our situation. We're waiting for the shelter-in-place order to end. We're waiting for herd immunity. We're waiting for a vaccine. We're waiting to get back to normal. We're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting for our kids to go back to school. We're waiting for summer to come. We're waiting for anything, any signs of hope. We are all in a season of waiting, but the question really is, how long can we wait? And for some of us, we feel like we are just one situation situation, one argument, one child meltdown, one roommate's uh, confrontation away from just total despair and, you know, just a season of depression. How long till our emotional credit is spent? How long until our savings dries up? How long until we fly off the handle at our children or our roommate? How long, how long, how long? And in this psalm, one commentator says, time itself becomes a destructive force, wearing down a person's ability to hold out and intensifying the suffering to an inhuman level. Maybe for you this morning, that just resonates with you. Time itself feels like a destructive force. It is just wreaking havoc in your life. Can you spend another day at home in your house? Can you spend another day in anticipation of what will be next? So the main question of this psalm is how long? And it's, of course, rhetorical. So in other words, it's a cry, and this is the cry. I can't take this anymore. God, make this stop. A rhetorical question. It's, it's, it's not just meant to be answered. Oh, how long? Oh, five minutes. How long? Oh, just another week. No, how long? It's this cry from the heart. And it's interesting because in the psalm, as the cry continues, there are deepening questions behind each one. First, there is the value question. How long will you forget me? Forever? So as the psalmist is, is wrestling with this time and, and just it's weighing down on him, he begins to ask deeper existential questions. Has God forgotten me? Does God care about me? He has thoughts and feelings of being overlooked, ignored, and insignificant to God. Of course, this is because 
he feels that there is a practical withholding of help to his need. So how long, oh Lord? I, I must have been forgotten. God is busy in the heavens going about his business, doing his thing. I must be insignificant and unimportant to God because he is not answering my prayer. Then there is next the shame question. How long will you hide your face from me? Now remember in ancient culture to hide your face from someone was a metaphor for losing honor or privilege. I, so what the psalmist is saying, I must have done something to offend God. There must be some sin in my life, some wrongdoing, some offense, and God is hiding his face from me now. God is ignoring me now. He's shunning me. I'm unclean. I'm damaged by something I've done. I've done something for God to hide his face from me. It's my fault. And so then there's this guilt and this condemnation and the shame that some of us are even carrying around in this season. You think that the shelter in place, though it's happening in the whole world, is unique to you. God is punishing you for your sins. And that, well, it doesn't matter what you read and what's going on in the rest of the world. For some reason, it all comes back to you. I must have done something. And then lastly, there is the despair question. How long will I have to go at it alone? The psalmist expresses that he is just almost kind of like that hamster wheel of thoughts. He's just alone in his thoughts, alone in his plans, and he feels like there's no answer. It's just cyclical. It just goes around and around and around and around. I don't know if you've ever had that experience before, but maybe, you know, you've received some terrible news in the day. Maybe like losing your job or maybe some confrontation with your spouse and there you just lay at night or someone maybe has a an issue with you and, and you're not able to, to work it out with them and just you're sitting there in bed and just your thoughts are just going round and round of what you would say to this um, accusation and how you would answer and then how you would you know counter that answer from them and, and just going around and around and around drive you absolutely crazy. And this is what the psalmist feels. He just feels hopeless. He feels alone in his plans, alone in his schemes, going round and round, never arriving at answers. Now, as I mentioned last week, the Psalms give us a framework and a language to speak to God. They are given to us, at least one purpose, to bring our feelings, thoughts, fears, and desires before him. So this Psalm and many other passages of Scripture validate and normalize what we are feeling what our thought patterns are, and what our questions might be. And I think that is so important because what you are feeling is normal. What you are going through is normal. You are not crazy. This is not some unique thing that's happening to you. But this is just the normal circumstance that every single human being, and especially followers of Jesus, go through to question, to doubt, to fear, to despair, to go to the place of condemnation, to feel like we're alone in our thoughts. One commentator says this, the predominance of laments at the very heart of Israel's prayers means that the problems that give rise to lament are not something marginal or unusual, but rather are central to the life of faith. Moreover, they show that the experience of anguish and puzzlement in the life of faith is not a sign of deficient faith, something to be outgrown or put behind us, but rather is intrinsic to the very nature of faith. So please hear that, church. To doubt is to be Christian, I would say. To question is to be 
Christian is to be a follower of Jesus, and God invites that from us. Maybe you grew up in a church where you weren't allowed to question, you weren't allowed to uh, complain, you weren't allowed to share your doubts. That is not biblical. God invites all of that from us. And I would say, and maybe this sounds strange to say this, but I feel like you can almost hear the voice of a child here. It's not a complaint or protest of impatience and frustration, but maybe one of anxiousness. How long, O Lord? Are we there yet? How many times have my kids asked that? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Where are we going? And one commentator said about Psalm 13, it shows that trust does issue in insistent questioning of God that asks why God is ignoring us in our need and an urgent pressing of God to give us attention and brighten our eyes with the promise of action. I mean, this is so like the dynamics of parents and children. My parents will, my parents, sorry, my children will just pester me until I give them an answer. And they, and they don't feel that this is wrong to do. They, they actually b- believe that this is the very right thing to do, that they have the right to do this to me, to just bug me until I answer them. So likewise, as children of God, God invites us. Bring your complaint to him. Bring your sorrow to him. Bring your questions to him. This is a sign that you are a child. So again, the, the Psalms give us this language. They give us this permission to bring these thoughts, these questions, these doubts, these fears to God. Now, as we are asking ourselves, probably we each have our own unique question of how long, oh Lord, just you know, unique to our personal situation, the dynamic of our lives. And uh, we put together a worksheet that's available on the website, and I really encourage you to work through that this week and really own that lament, own that how long, and work through this psalm. But I would like to do something a little different this morning. Here, I would like to pose a question. Some, in feeling this same tension, this lament, how long, O Lord, still some of you have not let go of the past and maybe that's why this cry is being magnified for you. You are still longing for what was lost and wanting to get back to that. And so uh, the, the further out we get in the shelter in place, the further out we get in our projections of when we'll get back together, it's like the, the, it's just being magnified what was lost. And I think we have to honestly look at this situation and realize we aren't going back. We're not going back. We are in transition to something new. Remember, lament is orientation to disorientation to reorientation. Or maybe we could put it like this. It's Egypt to wilderness to promised land. We are headed somewhere new. And right now, this is the most difficult part. We are in the disorienting liminal space. Ruth Haley Barton in her book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, defines liminal space like this. It's a unique spiritual position where human beings hate to be, but where the biblical God is always leading them. It's when you have left the tried and true, but have not yet been able to replace it with anything else. 
It's when you are finally out of the way. It's when you are between your comfort zone and any possible new answer. And if you are not trained in how to hold anxiety, how to live with ambiguity, how to entrust and wait, you will run. You will do anything to flee this terrible cloud of unknowing. So all that to say, church, we right now are in this liminal space. We are in this, this moment of disorientation. And I believe what we need to do along with that cry of lament is that we need to add to that a prayer for direction and clarity for what is next. So if you at this time have not lamented what you lost, I want to give you permission. You need to do that. You need to mourn those things. You need to hand those things over to God. And you and God need to have a sort of funeral or burial service for those things. And please give yourself permission to mourn those things, to lament those things, to have some closure there. But then the next step is to go to God with this question, God, where are we going? Where are we going? God, what are you doing and how can I join you? How can I align the priorities of my life with the stripping, resetting, and receding that you are doing in my life, in our city, and in the world at large? In this liminal space, what do you want to do in me? I think this is absolutely an essential question that we need to ask ourselves right now. And of course, we get the grand vision of this or the grand framework of this from Scripture because we know ultimately where we are headed. We are headed for new creation, right? God is wanting to do such a deep work in us. So the rest of the world that are not part of the family of God have not been regenerated, do not have the Spirit of God. They are not headed for the same place that we are headed. We are headed for new creation. We are to be image bearers of Christ, and we are growing in that. It's that work of sanctification. It's a journey, right? God is taking us and molding us into the image of Christ, and that journey is not easy because we are going from the human M.O of selfishness to new creation, to Christ-likeness. It's arduous. It's filled with lament and fear and scarcity. It's a difficult journey. But like Deuteronomy 8 says, all of this causes us to lean into the Lord and to learn that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This we know, ultimately God's purpose is not just to make us happy, but to make us whole. God wants to do a holistic work in our lives. He wants to make us a whole and complete new creation. One uh, writer said this, God does not want to numb us with easy jobs, loads of money, and friction-free friendships. He wants to raise us from the dead. (laughs) And sometimes, I mean, it takes the stripping for us to remember that. The work that God wants to do in our life is taking us from death to life, from relying on ourselves to our eyes fixed on the God of resurrection, the God who raises the dead. And some of us, we've just been lulled to sleep. We've been living apathetically. We've been living complacently and just okay with that. But you know what? Since we follow the God of resurrection, that will not do. 
That cannot last. No, God is waking us up. He is stirring us through this stripping, through this receding, and we need to ask him, God, what do you want to do in my life? What does that next step in that journey towards new creation look like for me? Now, <clears throat> we're not going to go into it this morning, but I just want to mention it. You have the word sheet for you. But the next set of verses are the plea. Answer me, O God. And so I would just ask you, what does hope look like for you in this season? And be specific about that hope. What are you asking to God to do in you as you kind of take stock of your life and ask that question of what you think God wants to do, asking him <clears throat> for an answer, asking him for direction for that. Be very specific with this. And then also along with that, voice your fears to God. Hear the psalmist he voices his fears to God. He says, light my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Light my eyes, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Light my eyes, lest my foes rejoice because I collapse to the ground lifeless. He's very specific about what he wants from the Lord and very specific about what he is fearful of. And again, we need to bring those things before the Lord, wrestle with him over these things. And lastly, the psalmist has this incredible resolve, an incredible resolve, right? He's got this prayer just of desperation. How long? He has his plea, and then immediately, this psalmist, six verses, immediately this resolve. I am trusting. I will celebrate. I will sing. And it almost feels too quick, a little too quick. And if you're in this season right now, this might be a little too quick for you. And so we're not, I'm not saying that you have to speed along this process, but I do think this last piece is a very important piece. How does the psalmist get this resolve? How does he get this trust, this joy, this singing? So I've been thinking for myself about what brings hope assurance and peace to me in uncertain times and it has always been me going back to moments in my life where God clearly intervened that's where I have to go I have to go back to the last time God clearly spoke to me directed me gave me an answer to my cry moments both small and great of God's salvation I remember that's what I have to do now, do you recall the story of Israel when they came out of the wilderness and into the promised land, they crossed the river Jordan. And what they did is they took these large stones and they laid them at the bed of the Jordan. And they said this, so that when the waters recede because of drought, we will see this monument and this monument will tell us God brought us this far. It will remind them of all the wilderness wandering, the manna from heaven, the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day, the quail. It will remind them of all the provision of God, the water from the rock, the protection. It would remind them. They would remember. They would remember. It was so essential to their lives to have this monument to go back to in hard times to look at, to meditate on God's faithfulness. And I would say... The same for us. We need to do that. There might not be a more profound moment where this happens in the Bible than in the book of Lamentations, right? This is uh, an incredible, um, earth-shattering, history-altering moment for Israel. 
The kingdom of Judah had been justly handed over to judgment for her continual rebellion and rejection of God as her king. And you can read the book of Lamentations for the full effect of this. But the priests are being slaughtered in the streets. Women and children were trampled by the armies of Babylon. I mean, it's, it's heart-wrenching to read this account. The Babylonians came, destroyed God's city, right? Decimated the temple and led God's people away captive to Babylon. And in the middle of this great lamentation, the writer we believe to be Jeremiah, listen to what he says. He says, he, speaking of God, has made my teeth grind on gravel. He's made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. Here's his lament. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But here's the turning point. But this I recall to mind. I remember he says, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord will never end. His mercies will never cease. They are new each morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And it is good that one should wait silently for the salvation of the Lord. I pray that this disorienting liminal space would be used in your life to get your eyes onto the Lord and the new thing he is doing and the powerful work he wants to continue in your life. You're feeling that disorientation. You're feeling the weight of that lament. But in that lament, remember. Remember the faithfulness of God. Do what Jeremiah did. Do what the psalmist did again and again, which is to go back and to recount those acts of salvation, those acts of deliverance, whether great or small, whether biblical or personal to your life. Remember those things and write those out. Carry those with you into this week and into those moments that hit you. That's the time to recall those stories to yourself, to, to remind yourself of these things. Last thing, Paul the Apostle concerning... Uh, an incredibly difficult trial and season of his life. He said this, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But, he says, as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. He did rescue us from mortal danger. Wow, God came through. And he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. So church, I encourage you, exhort you, challenge you to pray this prayer. God, what is the new thing you are doing right now in this season of my life? What is the resurrection life that you are bringing us into that you are wanting to bring me into? How do you want to use this moment of disorientation and sheltering in place and the stripping to get my eyes on the God who raises the dead? 
to get my eyes on the God of resurrection power. God, do that for me. God, do that for our church. God, do that for the churches of Santa Rosa and Sonoma County. Lord, use this season to to, to prune us, to purge us, to cleanse us, Lord, from our apathy, from, Lord, this sleep that we have been in as the people of God. And, Lord, would we reemerge as a people of resurrection life? Would we emerge from this as a people of resurrection hope? Lord, would we emerge from this as a people of um, just gratitude and simplicity, a people, Lord, who point to your radical grace and mercy and the hope that we have through our God who raises the dead, our God who is making all things new. So we commit ourselves to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.